0: Welcome especially to, for, to those of you who are visiting from somewhere else. I'm Pastor Fergus. I pastor the young adults here in this church as well as the Multimedia and Comms Ministry. Now for the rest of the SIBKL family, man, I think I kind of wa- almost feel I want to apologize to you guys for showing up again so soon after the last time. Man, I don't know what happened. My only explanation is there is a glitch in the matrix, Right but but i hope you're not jealous with me you know but actually you know what you know what it's okay to be jealous with pastors as long as you are not jellat with the Word of God. Amen? Amen? All right. All right, man. Today, today, actually, let's pray. Let's pray. Before we go even a step further, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Father, align our hearts today. Align our minds today with the mind of Christ. Father, teach us and train our hearts to be able to see wonderful things in your Word, Lord. And Father, we pray that today's topic will stir up such confidence that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and that in Christ is all the promises from 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 the ancient times fulfilled and all our deepest longings met in Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, all right. Now, uh, today we are on genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1, and, and I've entitled today's sermon Great expectations right but maybe after you found out what the topic is it doesn't really matter what sermon title I gave it because the only great expectation you have now is an expectation to be greatly tested as you read the genealogy of Jesus right don't raise your hands how many of you guys skip the genealogy of Jesus when you read Matthew though I don't raise your hands Yeah, And it's not just Matthew 1, it is also Ezra chapter 2, have you met that? The one lagi long, you know? And then there is 1 Chronicles 1 through to 11, there's like epic long list of names and there are other lists and lists of names, right? Um, Why are they even there? Right? What, what, what business does, do we have reading lists of Jewish people's names? I'll tell you what business we have, but you got to hang in there, okay? Because I'm going to take 45 minutes to tell you. Are we okay? Are we okay? All right. If you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and let's read together. If you have it in your own Bible, I want to encourage you to read it from your own Bible. I've got my own Bible here. I'm gonna we'll try to read it from it. But if you're visiting with us or you don't have your Bible with you, then let's read it from the screen. I've made it just a little bit easier to track the names, uh, cause every unique name is in red. Okay, so if you want to read from here, also can okay? All right, are we good? Let's read it all together. But as we read, huh, read every name, okay? And read every name like it's your Akong and Amas' name. Can or not? Can yeah, okay, okay, because in some ways it is Okay? All right, let's read. Every name from this, one, two, three. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zirah, by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king." First chunk cleared. One, two, three. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel... The Father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born, who called Christ praise God you guys made it come on come on not so hard right not so bad so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David to the deportation to Babylon 14 generations and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ 14 generations may God add his blessing to the reading of his word amen amen you guys ready for this now if you are the kind okay the forensic kind and you like to count things maybe you're a tax collector like matthew himself was right then you would have been counting all those red names right and if you were to count now now by the way 14 ma right abraham to david 14 david to deportation in babylon 14 babylon to jesus 14. so 14 times 3 is 42 right and so if you were the the mathematical kind and you're counting off all those red red names you would have realized something is going on here why because matthew says remember just now abraham to david 14 david to babylon 14 babylon to jesus 14. what's wrong with this nobody wants to take a guess they've counted david Ah, so when we count the red numbers, what our brains are doing is, we are going Abraham to David 14, then Solomon, he's the next guy, right? Abraham to David 14, Solomon to Babylon 13, actually, Jeconiah, right? Then you start from Shealtiel to Jesus is another 14. So if you were to count the red names, you would actually get 41, not Forty-two. so what's going on here right because didn't he say 14 14 14 it looks like soaking right okay so let me let me help you understand this whole thing about genealogies okay because because the way we think genealogy should be done maybe the jews don't think genealogy should be done that way right so so let's let's try to unpackage this just a little bit okay first thing to blow the myth Matthew 14, 14, 14 is a mnemonic device, okay? Now, there are many theories about why, but it is most likely a device to help you memorize the names. Now, you're going like, whoa, pastor, I could scarcely read it, okay? You want me to memorize? No, I don't want you to memorize. Matthew wants his Jewish Christian believers to memorize because that's what they do. They're very good with memorizing, right? But, but so it is not there to bluff while us. Okay, you know what bluff while us means? It means that to pura-pura to, to make it seem like, wah, so ngam ah. God 14, 14, 14, so keng ah, this God. Wah, and then padahal, actually, if you count, it is 14, 13, 14, and then Matthew is thinking, I hope they don't count. You know, so it, it sounds so kejang that our God is so ngam-ngam one, you know? No, He's not there to bluff while you. That 14, 14, 14 is there to help you remember The genealogy. Why? Because genealogies are important, especially to the Hebrew people, okay? So that's the first one. The second one is this, right? Um, That they actually drop names, okay? So they actually drop names from the genealogy so that um, uh, D might be the son of A, but they drop B and C. Okay, so you we, but we understand this actually because we've heard Jesus being called Son of David. Hey, he is not the biological son of David. Through the descendants, he is a son of David. But between Jesus and David, there were another twenty-eight, right? Twenty-eight other names. So you you so in our modern day kind of like precise brains, we are thinking you can't call him the son of David. He is a son of son of son of great Then you like to the power of whatever, right? Um, but but no, Jewish people call their descendants the son of like whatever you know so matthew actually does leave out some names in fact in the middle section he leaves out eight kings right um i don't know if he left out any other people after they came back from babylon we don't know this okay but it wasn't meant to be completest. We just got to know this, right? And the third one that I want to help you understand is this. I just want to get it out there. There is another genealogy of Jesus. It is in the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke and Matthew's genealogies are not identical. But we should be okay with this because we know they can drop names, so it will not be identical. Secondly, Luke's genealogy goes um, through a slightly different jalan, and then it meets together on David, and then they both go back to Abraham, and Luke's genealogy goes beyond Abraham, um, all the way to Adam and to God. And Luke actually tells it backwards. So he doesn't start with God, it Adam, uh, uh, um, and so on. He goes from he goes from Jesus backwards until Son of Adam, Son of God. Right. So that's the difference. Okay. I just want to put it out there. If you want to study Luke's and compare the two, um, uh, you can. Um, there are a lot of commentaries out there, but not for today's sermon. Today we're on Matthew's genealogy, right? Now, now, um, when I go through this whole genealogy thing, by the way, I want to share with you guys this. You guys really have to go and catch Wayan's sermon, okay? Wayan's sermon was amazing. It's so controlled, so measured, and he builds his whole uh, sermon on the genealogy out of the covenant that God gave to his people, and he's doing a bunch of things that I won't be doing today because we'll be covering slightly different ground. There's just so much ground to cover. So you saw just now, by Tamar, by Ruth, right? by Rahab, right? um, and by the wife of Uriah. There the are women in this thing. It's covered by Wayan go listen to it, right? You saw just now Jeconiah, right? Um, uh, he, I, I, I said to you, Jeconiah, you'll see him again. Um, that there, is, there is this bit of drama surrounding Jeconiah um, being cursed uh, um, so that his throne will not continue, okay? And there is a, there, there is a restoration to that. Check Wayan Sermon out for that part of it as well. I won't be covering that. Um, So what will I be covering? Well, loosely speaking, in these three points, but I want us all to read together so that we can digest our lunch and, and have some energy at the same time. Are we good? Are we good? Okay, at the count of three, let's read it all three together. One, two, three. Jesus is the rightful Messiah. Jesus is the unlikely Messiah jesus is the greater than messiah jesus is the rightful messiah jesus is the unlikely messiah and jesus is the greater than messiah what do these things mean well let's start with the first one and we see where it goes right so jesus is the messiah He is the promise. And to Jewish people, they are waiting for that promise, right? And and so he is the fulfillment of that promise. But how does Matthew present it to the people? Now, you have to understand this. For us Malaysians, genealogies don't mean a lot, right? We don't really understand why it's such a big deal. But to the Jewish people, it is a big deal. A genealogy tells you who you are and if you don't know who you are how can i trust you how can i know where you came from i don't know your father i don't know your grandfather i don't know what you what stock you come from for jewish people that is big deal okay so So the genealogy also tells you not just who you are, but what kind of destiny you have. So that's why it is very important. Now, last week at our overview, Pastor Chu and Pastor Isaac shared about how Matthew... Though it's not the earliest written gospel, it's positioned as the first gospel to bring you into the New Testament. Why? Because it transits Jewish Old Testament into Jew, Gentile, global New Testament, that the gospel is going to go out to the whole world, right? And the transition is the Gospel of Matthew. Now genealogy Matthew 1 is doing a micro version of that transition so what you have is the whole of the Old Testament narrative and then in chapter 1 it is transiting you by summarizing all the key names of the genealogy of Jesus so at one glance in one chapter it's like you see the whole Old Testament and from there it transits Old Testament into Matthew 2. And then from there, it sets you up for the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have to picture it, Matthew's genealogy is doing what's on the screen there. Okay? Now, remember I said, for us Malaysians, genealogies don't really mean a lot of things. It looks a bit like this ah, just a bunch of names. Just a bunch of names. Now, I know it's not, for some of you, you're like, hey, it's not just my, I know this guy. Abraham, ah, I know the guy, I know the guy, you know. Um, Jacob, whoa, wasn't that the, 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 the scoundrel who stole his brother's blessing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who, Ah, huh? Don't know, don't know, don't know. Oh, Boaz. Oh, I thought I've heard of Boaz before, right? You uh, um, um, so would he, he's in Old Testament somewhere, somewhere. You know, he married some girl, yeah. Oh, David, oh, I know David. Solomon, oh, I know Solomon. Don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know like three names there, right? Uh, yay, praise God, right? For us, when we see a genealogy, That's what happens. But for the Jew, when they see uh, 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 a genealogy, they see this. They see a story. They see people. They see a journey of a people, right? They see the patriarchs. There they are, Father Abraham, and then Isaac, and Jacob, the foundational uh, um, people of their faith, right? And then I've colored Judah together with them, though he's strictly not a, a, a patriarch. So important to the line of Jesus, right? And then, After that remember the story how um, how jacob had a favorite son and through that favoritism they sold that that favorite son his name is joseph they sell him to slavery he ends up being a big shot in egypt and then famine hits and then the whole family jacob judah and all their brothers all end up in egypt to buy food and over time they don't just buy food they end up getting land they get resettled into egypt at a place called goshen and then For 400 years, you have this family line, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon. Actually, before I did this, I was thinking, I wonder who is the guy in this genealogy who crossed the Red Sea? You guys are curious about these things. I got super curious. I was thinking, I wonder who crossed the Red Sea when it parted. As it turns out, it is Nashon. Nashon means nothing. But now it means something. He's the guy who crossed the sea, right? So, and then what do they do? They cross over. There is the, the, the Joshua time of conquest. And then there is a the time of judges, Boaz. Yeah? In, 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 during the time of the judges, Obed, Jesse, and then the kingly line. And, and this genealogy intersect. And they intersect at David. And from then on, you've got David and Solomon, the united Kingdom of Israel, and then after that, after Solomon, then the kingdom splits. The northern tribes, you know, um, ten tribes in the north, is led not by Solomon's son, but by a guy called Jeroboam, and Jeroboam and his and his nation come to be called Israel, or later sometimes it's called Ephraim, right? But the southern kingdom. Is the line of Judah and Rehoboam is their king from Rehoboam to Abijah, Asaph, and on it goes. So all those kings, fourteen of them, some good, most bad. Even the good ones have a checkered ending. Okay, many of them have a checkered. Ending. So go 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 and until just before they die. Why you You know, quite a few of them, right? So you have all that until the worst of the worst. Israel is at their pits during the time of. Jeconiah, and they get brought out of Israel into captivity in Babylon. Jeconiah, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel. You will see Zerubbabel in Ezra chapter 2. He is part of the initial party sent back home by King Cyrus of Babylon um, to, to build the altar of God back in Jerusalem. And then official records end. And what do you have? Thank God someone continues to keep the records. Abiyud, Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Achim, Eliud, Eleazar, Mathan, Jacob, Joseph, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the thing. This part is called the 400 years of silence. Now I tell y'all something, okay, but y'all don't go and test it on our pastors. If you were to ask one of our pastors, pastor, pastor, what happens between what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Do y'all know what happened between the Old and New Testament? You're likely to hear one of our pastors say this: "Oh, that was the 400 years of silence." But I tell you, that's actually our way of saying. We don't know what happened in the 400 years, right? Um, so either we tell you 400 years of silence or you get 400 seconds of silence, right? But, but no lah, I just, we do know what happens in those 400 years. In fact, in June, we are going to launch a new class through our Christian education called Old Testament Survey. And in Old Testament Survey, you will get a scan through the Old Testament in five mornings taught by the same people who teach church history so you get a scan of the five, uh, five uh, uh, in five classes and the fifth one is going to be my favorite it is on the intertestamental period that, that in that crucial 400 years that sets it up for the messiah coming okay so, so today is a little bit of a preview of that make sure you sign up for ot survey in june okay we good we good Alright, so what's happening here? When I said just now that genealogy um, anchors you to the reality of who you are, your destiny, and your identity, I really want to show you what Matthew is trying to do. He's trying to anchor the identity of Jesus into three people. Three people. These are the three people. Abraham, Judah, and David. Now before we, g- we go into that, just want to ask more questions. Why, are huh? Why must he anchor uh, uh, Jesus into, into some of these people? Well, can I share with you that, that is, what, what's wrong with Jesus' identity? Why did people not know who he was? Actually, his, his, uh, his credibility was a problem. I mean, the simple fact that Jesus was conceived at a time where his parents were not even married casts a doubt over his life, all of his life. I mean, we see this in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is in the temple. He says, i am the light of the world anyone who walks in me will no longer walk in darkness but will have the light of life and normally when jesus says an i am he gets a bit more space and time to unpack it not i am the light of the world the pharisees immediately jump in on him and deconstruct him and ask him why how can you say these kind of things what gives you the right to say these kind of things and then they start uh, this little argument ensues and then and at at the kind of the hottest point of the argument The Pharisees say, hey, Abraham is our father. And then Jesus says to them, hey, if Abraham was your father, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But clearly, you are not Abraham's children. You are doing the works of your father. Then the Pharisees say, well, we weren't born of sexual immorality. Whoa. What slur is that? Where did that slur come from? Right? We weren't born of sexual immorality. Surely it is because... Jesus was conceived before his parents were married, and so they're trying. they to they kind of throw shit on Jesus and, and and his his upbringing, the morality of his family, and whether this guy is legit or not that's what's going on i mean we, we, we all remember the, the story when when people were asking whether hey this jesus is the real deal or not and then someone say hey what good ever came out from from nazareth right you know why because in the scriptures messiah comes from bethlehem so they're saying like well, nazarene only, what, what, from nazareth only what you know what good ever came out from nazareth you know you want you want messiah show me someone who comes from bethlehem what does matthew do bang Chapter 2, right at the start, Jesus anchored back to Bethlehem. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's chapter 2, right? So why these three names? Why these three names? It's because over time, God has spoken words to these three people that are unbreakable words that are binding by oath words that are binding by God's own name so so what are these words that God has given well he gives it first to Abraham it's called the Abrahamic covenant it's a promise and more than a promise he says this behold my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come out of you. Wow, you see that? This is a word to Abraham. At this point, he had no kids, right? I will make you a multitude fruitful into nations and kings. Not just that you will be many, you will have a kingly line coming out of you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to, be to your offspring after you. What is Matthew trying to, sh- to show that this covenant was talking about Jesus? It's talking about Jesus. Okay, never mind, right? So Abraham beget Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. So when Abraham begets Isaac, this promise goes to Isaac. When Isaac begets Jacob, the promise goes to Jacob. When Jacob then begets 12 sons, who of the 12 sons is going to inherit this promise? Is it going to be his oldest son, Reuben? No, it's not. Is it going to be his favorite son, uh, Joseph? No, it's not. In fact, the promise goes to his fourth son, Judah. Right, and how do we know this? Because when Jacob was old and grey and dying, he called his twelve sons together, and he gives them a blessing each. Right, and actually, some of his blessings very weird one. Like, like he blesses Benjamin by saying, "You shall be a ravenous wolf," you know. Um, and then he blesses um, Isaac by saying, uh, "You're gonna be a stubborn donkey or something like that." Right. Um, so I was like, "That's not a blessing, man. <laughs> I'll be so sad if my father blessed me to be a to be a donkey." Right. But you know what he says to Judah, you shall be a lion. And you know what lions speak of? Royalty. In fact, the rest of it looks like this. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be upon, be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Hey, what's going on here? I thought at this point of the story, it was Judah and his brothers who went and bowed down before their other brother. The younger brother, Joseph, they were all bowing down before Joseph. How come suddenly here, your father's son shall bow down before you? Will they bow down before Judah? Yes, not yet. His son, 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 son. They will bow down before Jesus. This is about Jesus. How do we know? The scepter shall not depart from Judah right? Scepter speaks of royalty, nor the ruler star from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. And I'll show you 11. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. If you turn to Revelation 7 verse 14, it will say that the multitude washed their garments in the blood of the lamb and it came out white. This Blessing is about Jesus. And Matthew is helping us see that, right? And so after Judah, dah, 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 you get the covenant to David, right? And the, David covenant, the Davidic covenant looks like this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom, right? He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, so this is not just about david's immediate son solomon or then his grandson rehoboam but it is about jesus and matthew wants us to see this matthew wants us to see this why because if matthew can show in the first chapter that that jesus's claim to being the messiah is anchored upon the promises the unbreakable binding bound by oath to his own name Right um, promises, then he has established the first step. If he can't even establish that, that the genealogy anchors Jesus to this, the rest of Matthew will have no credence at all. So this is important. Now, I want to say something about genealogies. You and I, we're not persuaded by genealogies right? I mean, for me, what would persuade me? Romans chapter 8 would persuade me. If someone came up to me and said, Fergus, God is for you. He's not against you. You know, you are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. I'm like, oh, pastor, I'm in. I'm all in. Show me where to go, right? Uh, um, um, and that's what would persuade me. But a Jew needs to be persuaded by genealogy. Here's what I'm trying to say though we may be persuaded by different things, it doesn't mean that we don't share the same core questions deep inside. And our core questions that you and I share with the Jewish readers of Matthew is this, is Jesus the real deal or not? Is Jesus the real deal or not? Can I say this? I didn't grow up Christian. I grew up in a mixture of Buddhism, a little bit of Taoism, and Hinduism. Some of you are thinking, "Well, how come this guy got Hindu?" Yes, uh, I, when I was a kid, my parents got into the Sai Baba movement, and I and I and I did. I think I at night um, on Fridays, I didn't go to Sunday school like your kids and mine, right? Uh, I went to this class called Balvikas, Vikas. And there I learned the Hindu mantras, I learned the Hindu epics, where our coloring sheets were all the Hindu gods, you know. So so I got into all that stuff. And then and then when I grew older, I started to read other things, right? I started to explore. I I I, I read up on Islam so I knew what what, what was out there. I, I started to explore the philosophers, and then I read Freud, and then I dipped into into Nietzsche. And then I dipped into, into Darwin. Then I dipped into everything. Like, I dipped into everything, like, you know. And, and, and can I say this? Can I say this? After dipping into everything under the sun, Jesus has always been the most persuasive of them all. When I look at every single would-be guru, would-be leader, would-be speaker of truth, Jesus until today remains rock solid in the way He interprets reality, interprets life, and everything is so logical. It so makes sense, right? So for me, Jesus is the rightful Messiah. It's very plain. It's very obvious. Jesus is the rightful Messiah. But if you are on that journey, And you are seeking and you are asking questions because you're not sure if jesus christ is legit i want to encourage you to keep on exposing yourself to this word exposing yourself to to the worship of him And, and and can i say this i am so confident that over time he will persuade you with the reality of who he is amen amen so i want to encourage you keep on searching but Jesus is the rightful Messiah. The problem is that he is also a most unlikely Messiah. The most, the, the most I did not expect Messiah to be like this Messiah, right? Now, when I was in Form 1, I read this book, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. How many of you, you have read Great Expectations? Wow, not bad. Quite, quite well read. We got like 2%, right? No, I'm kidding. Actually, it's not bad. I expected zero, right? Um, so I read this book, and um, and and I'm going to oversimplify it for the sake of time. Right? It's about this little street kid called Pip. Okay, Pip is this boy, and very early in the narrative, he bumps into his, an encounter with a really gruff man, kind of roughs him up a bit, and then he, uh, and this guy is a convict, right? He is a convict, a, a bad guy. Um, so uh, Pip moves on in life, and then he meets other people, life goes on, and then over time, he starts receiving um, uh, kind of like a, he, he kind of like has a venture capitalist in his life, right? Someone who's pouring, um, investing into him. It's called a benefactor. And his benefactor is investing into Pip so that one day Pip can s- not be a street kid but become a good, proper gentleman, a proper English gentleman. And so it tracks his journey, and, and, and along the way, um, uh, you can see that he's, he's wondering who is this benefactor of his because it is a it, because it is a it is a secret, it's a mis- mystery benefactor who's sewing into his life, and he has this idea about who it might be and he's a, and all that, but he never really knows until the end or near the end when Pip discovers that, that this benefactor whom he always thought would be cultured, would be wealthy, would be, would be a gentleman or a lady of high standing, he discovers it was that rough and gruff convict from the start. So all his ideas, all his now, uh, if, if I was Pip, I would be thinking, oh my gosh, I, I might not even know how to accept the reality that this idea of, of, of my benefactor that, that I've, been, I've been so blessed by, which I've inflated to this idea that this is the kind of person that it will be, it suddenly cra- crashed. And I realized that it's, it's this person of low repute, it's this person of low standing, low status, and all that, right? Can I say this? Jewish people expecting the Messiah was exactly like that. Exactly like that. They had this idea of what Messiah is going to be like, right? And it's not poorly founded. They are people of the book. So so through scripture, they come to know that Messiah is gonna look like this. He's gonna be Jewish. Jewish, sure. He's gonna be the tribe of Judah. He's gonna. Uh, um, a male descendant from David uh, um, and then Solomon, right? He's going to gather the exiled Jews. He's going to rebuild the temple. By then, it will be the third temple. So so this is what Messiah is going to be like. During His time, there will be widespread peace. Everyone will, will obey Him, worship Him. The world will acknowledge Yahweh and serve Him, right? But above all things, they know this one truth about Messiah. When Messiah comes, He will do this. He will liberate the Hebrews from a filthy and wicked foreign tyranny. That's what Messiah will do. In fact, this became like the main thing of what Messiah was going to do. But you can't fault them. That has been their story. Think about Moses who liberated them out of the tyranny of Egypt. And think about about David who liberated them out of so many wars with the Philistines. And think about Think about Daniel who resisted in holiness against the tyranny of Babylon, right? And then and then after that, okay, they go back, lah, they go back home. But it doesn't end there. They go back, they, 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 they rebuild the altar, they start up their nation, but before you know it, they are conquered by all these other neighboring uh, uh, um, kingdoms and it reaches a point that they are under the thumb of the Seleucid empire and then this man comes up his name is judah maccabeus right 167 bc judah maccabeus starts a revolt by the way this so this is what's happening in between the old and new testament okay yeah so he starts a revolt and then they actually win they actually drive out the seleucid empire and then they start like he starts a kingdom and there is actually a line of Maccabean kings right um, um, for a short period of time and and so even though he's not from the family line of david the people around him are watching and thinking okay so we know maybe he's not the messiah but when messiah comes he will be like this he will be he will drive out this foreign wicked devil you know and then and then uh, just at the turn of the century you've got herod the great, this is the same Herod whom in the start of the Gospels is hunting Jesus, the baby Jesus down and killing all the little boys. This is him what is his claim to fame right he was working with the roman empire but he had actually become installed as the king he was the one who took over um, the maccabean kings right and so people started to see him as king of the jews and samoa he rebuilt the temple wow rebuilding the temple this is like one of the criteria for being messiah is if messiah comes surely he will look like herod the great and then who comes Jesus who is this Jesus what is his deal right we see it in Matthew chapter 1 right this to, today's uh, chap, passage where it says of Mary she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins not from the tyranny of Rome from the tyranny of sin Now, the people expecting a Messiah were were, were hoping that Messiah will come as drive out the foreign devils, establish temple worship, establish the original Jewish worship, and then out of all of that kind of culture, that somehow their hearts will be drawn back to God. But God was saying, no, my Messiah will not work from the outside in. My Messiah will work from the inside out. My Messiah will come and He will defeat the tyranny of sin and slay to the flesh in our lives. He will do that first. And then from that, He will transform the world around you until you see His kingdom come from inside out and spread throughout all the world. That's how Messiah is going to work. But for centuries, the Jews have been waiting and expecting a Messiah who will change, change society first. After change society, change laws, then change government, then change all these things, and then slowly, slowly, slowly work its way into your heart. And God was saying, no, I'm sending you Jesus. He's going to be the Messiah. No, but He doesn't look like Messiah. He's not grand. He's not going to be grand. He's not interested in engaging Rome. No, He's not interested in... He wants to engage your heart. He doesn't want to engage Rome, right? He's, he doesn't have a rebellion. No, He's not going to have a rebellion. He is fully obedient to me, right? And on it goes. The people expected Messiah to look like something. And they didn't get that something. So they rejected that Messiah. Until today, they still reject that Messiah because they are still waiting for a Messiah to come and change government first, then change laws, then change society, then change the heart. But that is not who the Messiah is. Friends, you and I, we don't have that problem because we're not waiting, we've not been waiting for a Messiah. But we have this same core problem underneath it all that you may have been waiting for a God to act in a certain way, but your great expectation of Him came crashing down. You may have had this idea that, God, you will heal me in this way. You will fix my financial problem in this way. God, surely you will come through for my family in this way. That we all have this idea about how God is going to love us. We all agree on that God loves us. But we form an idea about how God is going to show love, how God is going to protect, how God is going to bring about good for our lives. And there's really nothing very wrong about that, except that when we have a certain fixed idea, and then God shows up and He does things differently. Our great expectations of Him come crashing down. And when God comes and says, I have a better way, I am going to show you a better way to love you, a better way to heal you, a better way to, 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 to fix your family. And then we say, no, I'm disappointed. A lot of the times we are disappointed in God because, we, because God has not acted in the way we had wanted him to act and can i say this when we say jesus is our lord and our savior and our king above kings can i say this even our expectations of him come under his lordship and wherever our expectations of him and who he really is don't line up with one another our expectations have to fall before the throne and fall before the cross so that we can pick up instead the real jesus the jesus who is the greater than our expectations of him amen amen are we good yeah. We're going to end not too long from now. Jesus was a very unlikely Messiah. You know, sometimes um, I I, I like to ask people this question. If you could meet one historical figure from from the past, right? Who would you meet? Who would you like to meet? And I get some really good, interesting answers. Um, Once in a while, someone will say Jesus. And I'm always very cautious um, uh, when I think about that for myself. Because... We like to think that if we met Jesus in 1st century AD, we would be one of his dearest, closest followers. I actually think that given a a, a dangerous mix of being a bit fundamentalist, young, male, uh, uh, um, um, and quite, quite whatever, right, all these things, that I would have been one of those who are saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So I don't actually dare to imagine that I would be would be one of the dearest followers of Jesus. Why? Because I would have had an idea of what Messiah would have looked like, and I would have been so wrong. I would have been so wrong. Friends, today, if you have built up this idea about who God should be, a God after your own imagination, a God fashioned in your own image, can I encourage you? If you see the real Jesus, let go of the God of your imagination. Exchange it, for the real Jesus, he is greater than anything you could ever imagine. Amen. 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 But here is the good news He is not just the rightful Messiah, He is not just the unlikely Messiah, He is also the greater than Messiah. Everybody say, The greater than Messiah. One, two, three. The greater than Messiah. What do I mean by the greater than Messiah? When you see the genealogy of Jesus, you see all these names. I'm going to show you one name. Isaac, right? When the Jew sees the name Isaac, what do they think of? They think of a young boy, old enough to be voluntary, to get onto an altar, allow himself to be tied up, allow his father to sacrifice him out of obedience to the Word of God. And then as the, his hand, his father's hand comes down, God says, stop. And the Father's hand stopped, and God said, I myself will provide. 1,500 years later, Jesus, the Son, in full obedience, voluntarily picks up the cross as a sacrifice, willingly goes, and this time the Father's hand comes down all the way, and he dies on the cross. Now, Isaac helps us to see Jesus, not the other way around. Right? Normally we say that, oh, your son looks like you, right? But this one is, the, you look like your son. Your grandfather looks like your son. Everybody looks like your son. Why? Because the son is the one that all of these guys have been hinting at. So Isaac hints at Jesus. He helps you to see what a voluntary sacrifice looks like. And because you've seen it in Isaac, when you see it in Jesus, you go, that's the one. This is the Messiah. Jesus is the greater than Isaac. He is the greater than Isaac. And then there is more. There is Judah. I already talked to you about Judah. Remember the story when all of them go to buy food from Joseph in Egypt? And what does Joseph do? Joseph plays this little trick on them, right? He, he gives them food. He sends them home, but he says that, I know you've got a younger brother, your father's new favorite son, okay, Benjamin, he's stuck at home, right? I want you to bring him to me. Show me you are for real, right? And then he says that I'll keep Simeon, right? So he keeps Simeon behind, everybody else goes back, right? And then they go back, they finish all their all, all their all their, their their provisions, and then they want to come back. And then the brothers tell the father, we have to bring Benjamin this time. If we don't bring Benjamin, this man won't let us see him, right? And then the father says, Jacob says, cannot, if we I can't afford to let him die. My first my first favorite son die already you know and benjamin is the only other son of rachel i cannot let him die i won't let him travel and then they say but then if we don't let him travel then nobody gets more food and we can't buy food from egypt unless we bring benjamin you know what judah says You want to see what Judah says? Oh my word, when I saw this, when I saw this, Judah said this, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Friends, this is Messiah speak. This is the kind of words Messiah says. Judah, you want to know why? Why out of the 12 sons that, that, that Judah was was the father of the Messiah? Maybe it's because he had this heart, right? Somewhere inside Judah, this would come out that he would say that, that if Benjamin is going to come back alive, I will make sure he comes back alive. I would die if Benjamin doesn't come back alive. And 2,000 years after that, or however, however long, right, Jesus comes and he says that, I, I pledge myself, my own life, for the safety of my people. I will give them all back to the Father at my own expense. I would die to save all my people. Messiah is talking right here in the words of Judah. So Jesus is the greater Judah. Judah helps you see Jesus. Judah helps you see Jesus, but Jesus is the greater than Judah. Amen? Amen? Are we following? And then you go on right there's boaz. boaz who is boaz he marries ruth widowed often so to speak you know and and lost she's a foreigner but boaz marries her kinsman redeemer marries her and gives her shelter and gives her a life again right what does boaz do boaz helps us see jesus redeeming every single one of us who are widowed and often and left to die a foreign person dying in the middle of nowhere what does he do jesus is the greater than boaz and then you've got david man there are so many stories about david you could scarcely start right but let me just pick the easiest most most obvious one david kills goliath right this small guy slays a giant and and i believe that that in many ways that david was not standing there representing you and I. You and I would have been the cowardice fella hiding in the camp saying that I don't dare to engage, I don't dare to engage. If I engage, I will die. If I engage, I will die. And then David comes and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He goes there, in one blow, kills the enemy, the giant, right? x number of years later it is jesus facing the biggest giant of them all sin and death and with one blow on the cross kills sin kills death defeats satan on the cross david helps us to see the victory of those who trust in the lord but jesus is the greater than david amen amen and then we see solomon solomon in all his splendor in all his wealth in all All his beauty in all his wisdom right helps us to see that jesus is even more has even more splendor is even more infinitely wise and glorious and glorious right solomon helps us see jesus but jesus is the greater than solomon now with i told you just now some of most of the kings were bad after the bad really bad kings when there is a good king they will cleanse the temple they will go into the temple and out all the idols all the filthy things and then dedicate the place to god again it happened with Esa, it happened with hezekiah it happened with josiah right and and so what do they do they cleanse the temple they help us see jesus what did jesus do he cleansed the temple we saw him flip the tables right and he didn't just do it in first century a.d until today he's still entering the the temples of our hearts And where he sees defilement, where he sees filth, he continues to flip those tables upside down and drive out all of that impurity from us so that we can have a temple worthy of the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the greater than Esau, the greater than Hezekiah, the greater than Josiah. And just as the kingdom was at its worst, right, a captivity in Babylon, and and Zerubbabel is going to be the new person sent back uh, um, to restart the kingdom, and then God does this through Jeremiah, says to Zerubbabel that, I'm going to restart this whole thing with you. I will make you like a signet ring, that you would be like a king again, right? And then now we see Jesus is like the greater than Sero Babel, restarting life for all of us and bringing us to be heirs with the king of kings, co-heirs with Jesus, our king. Amen? Amen? So, friends, I want to encourage you. Jesus is the greater than everything. If you're fighting with, 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 with uncertainty about about wealth, status, and you're anxious, I want you to know Jesus is the greater than wealth and status. If you are struggling with relationship, I want you to know that Jesus is the greater than relationship. If you if you are unsure because you've got all these other worldviews in your head, and you've been reading stuff, and you're not sure about all these things, can I say this? I shared with you just now. Jesus was the greater than Freud, the greater than Darwin, the greater than, than, than Nietzsche, the greater than the Hinduism, the greater than Buddhism. He was the greater than everything, everything I can't can't stop talking about how Jesus is the greater than Messiah. He is, has always been, and will always be the greater than Messiah. And I love this Jesus. Man, I love this Jesus. He is my Savior. He really is my Savior. Now, I want to remind you about one thing, and with this, we will close. We will close, right? Remember just now, I talked to you about, about how they expected a Messiah to look like something and their hopes were dashed. And maybe somewhere in the course of our lives, we expected God to behave some way, and our hopes were dashed. And i to encourage you this. Jesus is the greater than the God of our imagination. Jesus is the greater than the God whom we fashioned when we had nothing else to, 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 to cling on to. We imagined He would be like that. Jesus is greater than that. And if you're fighting with disappointment in your life, disappointment with God, disappointment with, with how you thought He would act, but He didn't act that way, and you've got hurt, you've got doubts about Him, I want you to know this that Jesus is good. Completely good. Complete, so good is He. There is not one drop of evil in Him. And, and I want to encourage you to trust in Him. Trust in Him. And you know what? You know what? The genealogy is here at the start of Matthew so that you can trust in Him. Uh, Maybe you and I don't need a genealogy to start trusting in Him. Maybe the Jewish readers needed it. And if you don't learn to trust Him through Matthew chapter 1, guess what? When you step into Matthew chapter 2, chapter 2 will be teaching you to trust in Him. And if that doesn't do the job, then chapter 3 will teach you to trust in Him. And if not, then chapter 4, the temptation in the desert, will teach you to trust in Him. And if that doesn't do the job, then chapter 5 will teach you to trust in Him. And then 6 and 7 will teach you to trust in Him. All the way through to Matthew chapter 28, it will be a journey of seeing that this Messiah is the real Messiah, the one whom you've been waiting for, you imagine he would be something else but he is looking like this this is the Messiah who's come for you father out of your out of your infinite mercies your grace which knows no bounds father we pray Lord God that you will come and you will sweep through this place you will find You in our hearts and access Lord God into our lives touch that part of our hearts Lord God father in the name of Jesus Christ if there are hardened hearts here in Jesus name I speak softness to come upon it I speak a yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit over it and a deep obedience to be birthed in your hearts In the name of Jesus Christ, I just speak life and blessing upon all of us that when we walk out of here, we will walk in obedience with Jesus. And every day, we will learn to trust in Him more and more. Oh, Father, bless us all, Father God, even as ministry continues at the front. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you, towards you, and give you shalom. Give you peace. And all of God's people say amen. 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 Let's praise God. Let's praise God. Come on, church. Let's praise God. He's so good.